The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Great. Welcome back. And um, a few things I wanted to follow up on from, from this morning or conversation um, and exploration. One is one thing that came up were uh, the um, different attitudes towards death, many different attitudes towards towards death and and um, and also the the idea that I was evoking about nature and natural, so I want to talk about that a little bit. The other one is I want to talk about also touch in to the terror management theory, uh, which I mentioned briefly. And and one aspect of terror management theory, which I appreciate in the conversation during the break that came up, uh, with actually two different conversations, is um, so much terror that comes up that the psyche looks for a way out. And a way out, the denial is... Uh, thinking about immortality, either the idea of like the death is not real. It's like, oh, I'll I'll somehow be in heaven, or I'll be uh, reincarnated, or like there is an other side. So it's a way of oh, there is hope. This is no the end. You know, death is not the end. Ah, oh, I don't have to worry about it. You know, this. Whew, I'll continue to live in some other shape or form, and. Um, and in my own exploration, I think as a, uh, um, I realized years ago that my mind was going to that, and then yet it kind of feel, felt like a like a bargain, like it, it, it kind of for me it seemed like a cheap bargain of like oh, but actually really psyche, I really want you to contemplate your own demise, and the psyche would go no, I don't want to contemplate my own demise, <laughs> I'm afraid of it, but not really. It's it's healthier to really contemplate your own demise. So um, so I, I've gone through this, and then a couple of things I wanted to bring up. One is the idea of uh, rebirth that I mentioned is not a free pass, because rebirth is actually in the Buddhist context is very different from reincarnation, which is what. Um, what is in the um, the Hindu and Indian context, Hindu context, is a different idea than rebirth. And you're scratching your head, what the, is the difference? What the heck? Okay. So, so rebirth versus reincarnation. So the idea of reincarnation is that, which this Buddhism does not subscribe to, is the following, that your self, your atta, your soul, after death gets reincarnated as another human being. Okay. So there is continuity. That's the free pass. Okay. The difference between that and rebirth is rebirth is the, the karmic potentiality, the effects of your actions give rise to a new being. It's not, you're gone. This being is gone. There's another being. Okay. The 
the simile that I have come, Buddha has a lot of similes. Nikki has come up with a new simile. It's called the billiard ball simile. So if you think of a billiard ball, you have a billiard ball which has potential energy, is moving. Potential energy is the movement, kinetic energy. Okay, so it's, the billiard ball is in motion. Okay, it's moving. It's a red billiard ball. Okay. All of a sudden, okay, you color it blue. It keeps moving. It's the same billiard ball, right? It's the same mass, same mass. Red, now blue, different color, same thing. Okay. Think of that as reincarnation. It's the same thing getting, getting a new coat of paint. Okay? Right? Okay. Now let's come to rebirth, which is the Buddhist, in Buddhist cosmology. You have the billiard ball. It has kinetic energy. It comes, it hits another billiard ball. The new billiard ball is now in motion. The, the other one has stopped. Okay? What has been passed is the kinetic energy, right? It's not the same mass. It's a different ball. This, so that's rebirth. Another ball has been born, which is completely different. This other one stopped. It died, right? But the action potential, the karmic energy carried on, okay? So that is not a free pass, Right? So the actions, what you do in the world, will continue, will give rise to other beings, actions in the world. But this self, this being, is gone. So that, um, so the terror, terror management theory does not have a place to stand, does not, cannot hang its hat on rebirth. It might be able to do that with a reincarnation or heaven or other things. So just wanted to bring that in. Because I think it is healthy for us um, to, to make peace. Because we don't know what's going to happen. It's the mystery, right? I say these things. I'm sharing also from the cosmology, right? Buddhist cosmology. I have no idea. I don't know. I haven't been there, right? Later this afternoon, um, and I, I'm... If time allows and interest allows, I've done a lot of reading and research um, into um, near-death experiences, people who have gone close to death and have been revived. And, and thanks to modern science and the, the, uh, the art of resuscitation um, in ER, there have been more and more and more accounts of of near-death experiences and the elements that is similar. And again, I will present those in the afternoon. We'll talk about them with a don't-know mind, really. Not to say, oh yeah, this is the way it is. Don't-know mind. This is what's shared. We just don't know. Like uh, Holding it with a don't-know mind. So I want to um, now touch into the different perspectives, different relationships with death. Um, talked about denial, fear, um, checking out completely, living our lives as if we're never going to die. We'll talk about that also more. All of these topics, they they can extend. Um, 
actually, yeah, let me talk about those a little more before coming to this other one. I, I think there is time. I think that could be interesting. So, so, um, where is it? Oh, here it is. Okay. So, it's interesting. Um, one way that in the past I've um, put a framework around reactions to death, either ours or others, is is within the framework of the five hindrances. Those of you who are familiar with the five hindrances in Buddhism, hindrances are are um, also translated as veil. The word in Pali is nivarana, which is veils. It's the, the things that come up when you're practicing meditation. You're sitting, for example, on the cushion and, and say, uh, sleepiness, sloth and torpor comes up. You know, that seems like a hindrance uh, or, or a veil. Or sensual desire comes up. You start to think about ice cream or your favorite vacation, anything but the, this moment right now, right here on the cushion meditating. Or Ill will can come up in so many different ways, like, oh, I don't want this, make it go away, or you start feeling angry about your, you know, towards yourself, towards somebody else. So either, so the first one is actually sensual desire, second one is ill will, third one is sloth and torpor in this order, the fourth one is restlessness and remorse when you're sitting and meditating and, and there's a lot of restlessness and you just cannot, you can't wait for for the bell to be rung and for you to get up and leave. And the fifth one is doubt. Am I doing this right? Is this the right practice for me? So that's the five hindrances, kind of plain and simple, uh, just a quick review. But And one way I like to think of the reactions to death within the framework of five hindrances, the way it would would um, would translate one is in terms of um, sensual desire when thoughts of death come up oh it's so much more fun to think about something more sexy more interesting more fun right like, i don't want to think about death uh, just kind of like push it away like uh, let's think about the vacation or 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 something else um, other ways that it can come up in terms of sensual desire um, is desiring another experience. Like, oh, that, you know, that other person is so much at peace with their death. Oh, I so, uh, I'm, I want their experience, right? Desiring, wanting, wanting their experience instead of turning one's attention to one's own experience and sitting with that and make, making peace with it. Or, or kind of feeling like, what's wrong with me? I don't feel grief, or I don't feel like there's nothing here. Like again, the sensual desire, desire want, wanting something completely different, wanting another experience. The second hindrance can show up. Uh, the ill will can show up as pushing away, like really pushing away. I don't want to die. Uh, feeling, feeling denial. I don't want to die. Um, feeling fear, feeling anger, feeling sadness, grief or despair, avoidance um, about our death or somebody else, that we would don't want to, to do this, de- denying reality, um, that it, this should not happen, this person should not die, should not have died, I should not die, so kind of 
pushing away, pushing away, denying reality. And sometimes, by the way, these things come up, not to judge ourselves for being bad or being uh, not being spiritual enough. These things come up. Of course they come up, part of human nature. The same way that these quote-unquote hindrances in practice, sleepiness comes up, ill will comes up. Like it's, They're not a problem. They're things to recognize and work with. In fact, a better translation of hindrances, I don't like the translation, the better translation of nivarana, the Pali word, it really is veil. Veil is something that will come up. But when you actually lift it and look through it and work with it, it's covering the path. It be- the path is behind it. It becomes the path. If you work skillfully with what is coming up, in your psyche naturally. It becomes the path instead of denying it or thinking there is something wrong with me. This shouldn't come up. Okay? So if any of these come up, jealousy for somebody else's experience or or rather envy. It's not jealousy. It's envy for another person's experience or if if a denial is coming up or anger is coming up. None of these are a problem, quote-unquote problem just recognizing that these naturally come up, befriending them and working with them, realizing that this could be your pathway, this could be the doorway, this could be the doorway to to freedom. This could be the doorway into letting go. And each doorway is personal, is very personal. Sloth and torpor can show up as, in this context, can show up as checking out, like completely checking out, not paying attention. Restlessness and remorse can show up, you know, whenever there's a conversation about death, there's like this restlessness and like, oh, discomfort about it. And doubt is um, doubt can show up in so many ways. The energy of doubt can show up in so many ways um, with relationship to, to, to death contemplation. Like, um, this is the right contemplation for me. Is this the right time of contemplation? Uh, am I doing this right? Uh, I'm not doing this right. Does um, does a teacher know what they're talking about? Like, there's doubt can show up in so many ways. Is this the right thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, wanted to share with you a little. Um, and by the way, later I'll speak more about aligning our life. How how death can actually motivate our waking up to life and what's called the misalignment problem because we, many of us, uh, maybe you're excluded, we spend so much time doing what's not important um, and we leave what's really, really important. And this, this idea of scarcity of time, really making um, time feel scarce, really bringing that into our consciousness can wake us up into spending time in our lives, precious lives, into what really is important. So, so hold the misalignment problem on a post-it. I will be, I'll talk about it next. 
but touching into the different perspectives on death, I wanted to share with you this piece that showed up in um, in Tricycle in winter of 2014. Uh, Tricycle magazine, this article was called Sea of Sorrow, and I'll read a few paragraphs from it. So this was written... Um, about the Indian Ocean tsunami by a reporter who was, who was there, by Rana Kabatsnik, who writes that, um, the, so this is the, the, the description, on the eve of the 10th anniversary of the Indian Ocean tsunami, a psychologist who volunteered to help survivors in Thailand recalls her staggering confrontation with death and considers how a Buddhist country coped with the truth of impermanence. So here's a few paragraphs from that. There were shots, there were shots of bikini-clad corpses on beaches and stunned survivors frantically searching among them for loved ones. Video clips showed demolished homes and hotels, capsized fishing boats, crushed cars, and acres of debris. Seawater still gushed from broken storefront windows and down streets and alleys. The Indian Ocean tsunami turned out to be one of the most devastating natural disasters in recorded history, leaving an estimated uh, 227,898 dead and 125,000 injured, 45,752 missing, and 1.69 million displaced over the 22,000 square mile area. In that idyllic tropical setting, the day after Christmas, who could have imagined that this would be the day that I die? Thai way of grieving, from what I could see, was composed reflecting what is known as Jai Ren, a cool heart. Mourners appeared to see death as part of life, not as an injustice or a dreadful mistake, even when it was unexpected or swift. Expressing emotions wasn't an issue for Westerners, who had a jai ron, a hot heart. Many felt angry and betrayed by the tsunami and by the experts who didn't detect it in time to transmit warnings. Quote, they should have known how irresponsible, they declared. Parents bitterly blamed themselves for not being able to protect their children from death. I'm a bad parent. It's my fault. They confessed, as if they were personally responsible for the natural disaster. This difference between the two perspectives demonstrated one of the Buddha's key teachings. Our minds are habituated to relate to suffering by resisting it through blame, bitterness, anger, resentment. That resistance is what the Buddha called the second arrow, which follows the first arrow, 
the direct experience of pain. So much additional suffering comes from believing that things shouldn't be this way, when in fact they are that way. Although tragedy and loss feel personal, they are not. Suffering and loss are built into the human condition. I spoke with one local woman in her late 20s who stood beside three stacked caskets containing her young son, daughter, and husband. Pen tamada, pen tamachal, she whispered in response to my condolences. This is natural. This is nature. This is natural. This is nature. So I would like to invite you to a guided meditation next that I will lead. making yourself comfortable, whether you need to sit on a cushion or a chair. Making yourself comfortable in your sitting posture, whatever it might be. Ah, Arriving, landing. in your body. Allowing your breath to move in freely. This breath, this life-giving breath moving throughout your body. Bringing life, with every in-breath bringing in life and with every out-breath letting go, relaxing, softening, arriving more. allowing all thoughts and reflections right now to just settle, just settle, moving down from your head, down to your body, settling in, letting them settle, your center of gravity, letting it settle.
allowing yourself to feel more fully present in the room, in this body, in this moment. With the intimacy, the intimacy of life. Life moving through you, being alive. Having consciousness, being aware, this awareness, intimacy with this awareness, this mysterious, mysterious, magical awareness. And also awareness of not just life, intimate, moving through you, through your veins, electrifying, awake, alert. This feeling of being alive. but also awareness of death. So close. So close, it's right here. Also. It's a razor's edge in between the distance between life and death, so gauzy, so thin. Between this feeling of being alive and this body, conscious, knowing, alive. And the other side of the curtain, the mystery the unknown, so close, so close as if it's right here, present, just as fully present. In fact, through its presence, highlighting, highlighting the feeling of aliveness more. It's like the silence between the sound, the silence between the notes in music, how the silence highlights, gives shapes to the notes, how the space in this room, the empty space, what's not filled with people, highlights the presence 
the absence highlighting the presence. And just as present, the absence, the not being, just as present as the being, the aliveness. So tuning, not just to the being and the aliveness, but to the not being, the absence. the hollowness. The without. And resting, resting both in the with and without, the yin and the yang. the aliveness and the non-aliveness. Both present together in the same moment. Breathing in the being and non-being. At the same time. Intimate, so close, right here, both of them.
making space, spacious, they can both be here. No reason to run away or push away. Non-preference. This is natural, this is nature. Now I'd like to offer the five daily contemplations be dropped in to your body as I read each contemplation, to let it be dropped in to your body, not just your mind, not just your head, actually your mind is in your head, but just to drop it into your body and see what resonates. Maybe repeating them to yourself silently. Here is the first one. I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. To see what arises, dropping in the contemplation. I am of the nature to age. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. And now the second reflection. Dropping it in your body, letting it resonate. I am of the nature to sicken. 
I have not gone beyond sickness. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. The third one. I am subjected to the results of my own actions and I am not free from these karmic effects. I am subjected to the results of my own actions and I am not free from these karmic effects. I am subjected to the results of my own actions and I'm not free from these karmic effects. Number four, 
I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. And the fifth one, fifth and last one. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will change, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will change, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will change, will become otherwise, will become separated from me.
for the last moments of this sit. Holding ourselves with kindness and tenderness for whatever arose during this practice period. Whatever arose. Whether it was difficult emotions, whether it was fatigue, sleepiness, whether it was anger, judgment, or if it was peace, or insights, whatever arose, whatever arose, holding it with kindness, that's part of the practice too, making space for whatever arose, whether or not you like it, whether or not you like it, making space for it. Building the capacity to be with it instead of hating it or pushing it away. That is freedom. Being able to be with whatever is, whether or not you like it. And being free in the midst of it. That is freedom. That's awakening. Holding yourself with kindness for whatever is arising right now. So in this guided meditation together, the first part, you might have already forgotten, it was so many minutes ago, the guidance was to, again, become in touch, recognize the aliveness, the being, and then turn our attention to to the non-being, as if the space in between, as if the silence between the notes the being and non-being, together here, the yin and the yang, the presence of them, to become tuned to seeing the other right here, right now, in this present, in this room, right here, in your awareness. Being is present. Non-being is present also. It's not so separate, not so different. So becoming more tuned to that. And then... I offered the, the five reflections, the five daily reflections that the Buddha suggests that we reflect on every day as a part of our practice. And these are wonderful reflections, actually, to take home and, and maybe um, cut them, frame them, exactly, put them, next, put them on your uh, mirror, on your bathroom mirror, to see every day. Um, they're wonderful reflections. I am of nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. These are great reminders, especially the second one, I think, the days you wake up feeling sick. Like, oh, why am I sick? Like, I'm of the nature to sicken. This is the nature of this body. Get sick. 
That's what the body does. It's not, you don't like it, but you have not gone. We, we have not gone beyond sickness. I am subjected to the results of my own actions, and I'm not free from these karmic, karmic effects. To, to really see karma here, not as something that unknown, done in the past, but really as empowerment, the actions that you take today, whether wholesome or unwholesome, you become subjected to their results. If you sow seeds of kindness and goodwill with others, those are the karmic results that will come back to you. If you, if you sow seeds of, of ill will, that's what comes back to you. So knowing that you are subjected to the results of your own actions in this very life, that's the law of nature. It doesn't work any other way. Fourth one, I'm of nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying, which is really the focus of today. And the fifth one, related to the fourth, all that is mine, beloved, and pleasing will change, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So we have a few minutes before lunch for any questions, reflections, reactions, um, maybe anything that surprised you, insights that came up. Uh, and I invite first people who have not spoken yet in the room to speak up first. Please. Um, is it annoying, let's say, if you are not sick and you look in the mirror saying, hey, I'm not sorry, sorry. I, I'm not quite hearing you. Could you hold it closer? Okay. Um, I can see for, let's say, if I'm sick today and look in the mirror, practices five reflections, yeah. I, I've become more, um, uh, I can accept it, like it helps me, right? But yeah. what if the days that you are not sick in the morning and you say, hey, I, if I'm aware of you know this whatever this one the, the five acceptance I, that can become annoying, isn't it? Annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Because help, why help me I want to think more. about God? I'm getting sick, and maybe you know, affecting me negatively instead of just be happy, go to work. Ah. Okay. So I think what you're raising, the concern that you're raising, I hear two things. One is. Um, you, you mentioned the word annoying, and the other one was to actually, if you think about it, you will get sick? It will affect you no, negatively? No, no. Is that what you were like saying? Like, if you are actually sick, yeah. you know, practicing this uh-huh. thing work because you uh-huh. accept, right, practicing ac- yeah. acceptance. But what about the days that you are not sick and you're perfectly yeah. okay, you know? And then you read those things, hey, I'm not beyond sickness. And I think that can trigger this as a... Uh, negative feelings and also another one that we're talking yeah. about yeah practicing this um uh-huh. i guess one of them i can't remember exactly the words uh-huh. you said uh, being aware of those things being aware of that sometimes can be can make a person impatient for example if i 
if I'm not aware of that, if I'm not aware of time, so if I stay in line, I'm okay. But now certain things I started thinking, oh, you know, if I keep thinking death, uh-huh. and I say, oh, this is not worth my time, not, let me not do it, okay? I don't want uh-huh. to do it. And I become impatient. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, great. I appreciate you bringing what's coming up for you into the room. It's, it's important to have these in the room and discuss them. So, so the first one regarding, you know, you wake up, you're feeling great, you're feeling full of life, and you have these daily reflections in front of you. Like, um, it's really, I mean, these reflections are a way to, to um, these are the truth of the way things are, right? And, and it's really your reaction is notice the reaction that comes up. It's, so there is the truth of life and your reaction to it, right? So those are the two things that we always practice with in this practice. The thing itself and your reaction, okay? And the two examples that you gave, I want to highlight the reaction that you're pointing out, okay? With sickness, yeah, I'm of the nature to sicken. Reaction could be, yeah, that's the truth of life, okay? Yeah, reminder, I know, I know, I appreciate that. Or the reaction could be, ah, I'm annoyed, darn it. I, like, right, what's the reaction, right? The reaction could be annoyed or, oh, this is affecting me, or I don't like it, like it's the pushing away, right? Or the reaction with death could be, um, oh, I don't have time. Um, the reaction could, uh, sorry, that the object is death, you have limited time. That is, that is true. We all have limited time. Now, what is the reaction? What is the wise reaction? Is the wise reaction to get impatient and to hate people and honk and, and like get out of my line, in my way? I don't want to stand in line. Or is the the wholesome reaction as we train our mind towards more compassion, towards all, ourselves and others, because our time is limited, and aligning us to do what's important, but not with impatience, with love and care for ourselves and others. So I bring your attention to really investigate, as you have, as you have spoken it up here in this room, about really investigating and bringing more awareness to the reactions that you have to what is happening, because that is part of the death contemplation. That's part of all of these contemplations. As I shared in the piece, it's the teaching of the second arrow, the two arrows. One arrow is what life, the first arrow, which hits us, is what life gives you, is the truth of life, the truth of sickness, is the truth of death. The second arrow is your reactivity, how you react to it, how you hold it. Do you get annoyed by it to be reminded in the morning? Or you're like, oh, I'm glad I'm reminded of this, that I'm in the nature not to sicken. Ah, I'm going to appreciate the fact that today I really feel good. It can, your reaction could be one of gratitude. It doesn't need to be annoying. You see what I'm saying? Examine your reaction. Put a huge question mark next to your reactions. Don't take them for granted. They're not the truth. It's just the reaction. The reaction could be, again, you're, you're feeling fabulous. You read... I'm of nature to sicken. Ah, 
wow, this, I'm so grateful. This feels so good. And I'm grateful for this. I'm going to appreciate it today. I'm not going to squander it. I'm not going to get on Facebook and waste my time because I'm healthy. I, like, you know, that can, you know, there's so many reactions that can come from that. Right? Or I feel so good. Oh, and I'm of the nature of sick. And, oh, my friend. I remember my dear friend. Oh, he's been sick. She's been sick. Maybe I'll call him today. You, so many reactions. Why do we listen to the annoyment? Why do we put that on the pedestal? Right? Notice your reactions. Yeah? Thank you. You're welcome. What else in front of you? Uh, you said that let it into your body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, my body didn't want to take it. My stomach literally clenched. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And didn't want to unclench. From which one? From all the re- reflections? Uh, pretty much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more what the, if there are some words that you can bring up. What was the reaction that the body was like, no, I don't want these re- reflections? Uh, it's not that, uh, I can say, it's just that uh, I could not bring it into the body because my stomach, which was relaxed, tummy, yeah. nice, it totally clenched. Yeah. And so they like, wouldn't go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So. It's wonderful that you were really aware of that, that what was happening. So what I would bring to that is a question mark, a sense of curiosity. I would drop in the question mark, okay, dear belly, dear abdomen, that's now clenched. What's going on? Is this fear? Is this sorrow? What is going on? What is it about these reflections that you're reacting this way? So similarly, have curiosity with compassion, not about like, okay, darn it, you clenched something. No, no, I know. No, I understand. But but with a lot of tenderness and kindness, like, okay, what is happening? Because that's not the period. Don't put a period next to that. If you put a period next to it, it's like my stomach clenched. Not for me. Bye bye. Right? Yeah. Don't put a period. The same. This is all an exploration. Put a question mark. Like, what is happening? Can I be with this? Can I open up to it? What is going on here? Be curious. I don't have the answers for you, but you might if you stay curious. And. uh, and I also realize it's a process. Yes. You can't ex- expect to get sort of comfortable with something like this from the first try. No, so. absolutely not. This mm-hmm. is definitely just a process. And uh, it's, this is the beginning of a process, which, which I'm glad you have started by coming here today because it's planting seeds. It's planting seeds. And they will flower when they need to flower. Um, and expect the unexpected. I'll, I'll share with you something that somebody said to me, which astounded me. Uh, I still remember it I, when I was teaching one of the seven-day um, death contemplation retreats. This was someone whom actually during the middle of it, there was a lot of like kind of... Uh, you know, middle of the retreat, it was difficult for them. It was really difficult. They were having a lot of reactions and basically their body, their mind was saying, no, 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 no. So, so at the end of the retreat, they stopped me the last day and said, you know, how do you put a value on 
coming in seven days ago with a, how do they put it, my paraphrase, a, a um, mortal fear of death and leaving with peace. It, it hit me in my chest like, wow, it is possible. It is possible. You never know these plants, these seeds you plant, how they flower, when they flower. Um, yeah, and it, it, it was remarkable. So it, it gives me hope. And I've, I've worked with so many people doing this practice and also through day-longs. Things open up. Things open up during the day-long or after the day-long when plants, uh, when seeds are planted. It's a process. Yeah, please. I'm wondering about um, the practice, these practices, these reflections, uh, with or without metta, before or after metta. Yeah, (laughs) right. Because I wonder if... Hold it closer, please. I I wonder if... um, did the Buddha suggest that metta would naturally arise mm. and compassion would naturally arise from the repetition of these phrases yeah. and from being mindful of these pres- f- uh, phrases? Or is it and or is it useful to practice metta before yeah. these reflections? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great question, and I appreciate you asking that because my answer would be... So, so um, I don't know of of the Buddha actually placing this either before or after metta per se, because for him, like the metta was a practice you, you just did, right? You just did that, like it was infused into your life and you just practice it. And metta, for those who might be new, is, is um, loving kindness, practice of cultivating kindness and goodwill for yourself and others. So practice of cultivating goodwill, both informally in daily life, as for example, we've been doing in the conversations, practicing kindness, or formally sitting on the cushion and practicing, um, bring uh, cultivating that goodness. So, so I would say, experiment. I would say for you, for each person, it's probably different. And for you, I would say experiment. Try, try doing maybe a few moments of metta before the reflection. See how that feels. Do it afterwards. See how that feels. Don't do it. See how that feels. Right. Be a scientist of your own mind. <laughs> Be a scientist, great. Thank you. Okay. One last one. This is a burning question. One last one or comment. Um, the question that popped up for me uh-huh. during the five remembrances yeah. was, I'm, I'm currently reading a book about emptiness or not-self, and uh-huh. I wondered how, I was wondering what, what is the, the value of Remembering that I am subject to <clears throat> yeah. aging, sickness, death. Right. When I'm also trying to remember that I am not subject to aging, sickness, and death because I'm not the body or the mind or consciousness. So uh-huh. it seemed like a little contradictory, ah. those, those two ways of looking at it. But yeah. can you speak to that? Yeah, happy to. I'm curious, what book are you reading right now? Uh, Guy Armstrong. Oh, Guy's book. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so, so um, it, it may seem at the face of it that these are contradictory, but actually they're not. 
and I'm glad it's coming up. So, um, the the teaching on on conventional reality, relative reality. Relative reality is the level we live in. It's a relative reality. This is a desk. My name is Nikki. I have an address. I eat. You know. This is the relative truth and is just as true as, as what's sometimes called, um, um, there are different names. Wait, I want to choose the, um, the right one. Um, um, I'm blanking on, I'm coming up with, I'm remembering a name that I don't want to use a, a label um, ultimate. That's it. Ultimate reality. That's it. Then there is a teaching on ultimate reality, which is impermanent, anicca, dukkha, anatta, unsatisfactory, not self. It's not, it's impersonal. It's impersonal. It's all impersonal. And there, there are depths to, to that teaching also, um, which I'll save. But the thing is, these two teachings, they're just as important. One is not any impor- more important than the other. And if you privilege, if you mistakenly privilege or vie for, want the ultimate reality of, oh, emptiness, oh, Shunyata, emptiness. Oh, that's where it's at. That's the delicious. That's the juice. You miss the point. So, and this has happened throughout the history of, of Buddhism. And, and, it, and it's so important to keep the teachings on relative reality on the same par, on the same, give them as much value as ultimate reality. They're both as important because on some level, you exist, you are, you suffer. Because negating all of that, you can never actually get to ultimate reality if you negate relative reality. The only way to actually achieve freedom, Nibbana, awakening, is through relative reality. You really have to get to know the self, love the self, really get to know and, and make peace with all of these aspects of this self that is me and is going to die and it gets sick and it hates and it loves. When you really make peace with all of that, then you can let go of it into ultimate reality. There is no bypass. Uh, spiritual bypass can be very um, dangerous. I don't recommend it. Thanks. You're welcome. Great. Uh, that's a good note to end on. That was the last one I wanted to. So let's, it's 12.40. Let's come back at 1.40. And